Sierra Ching, and this is Onward Upward. Welcome, welcome. I am so excited to kick this podcast off with our inaugural episode. So Onward Upward is where I have heartfelt, candid conversations with professionals who have struggled, stumbled, and found their way back up. In each episode, we'll unravel stories of adversity and explore the power of resilience and perseverance. Our guests come from diverse backgrounds and share their profound stories about overcoming trials, rejections, and adversity. So the mission is to take you, the listener, on an uplifting journey filled with wisdom and courage to bounce back from life setbacks. For today's episode, I am thrilled to welcome Bosky. She is the founder of PM Dojo, which is a learning platform that has helped hundreds transition into or advance their careers in product management and UX. Bosky has over 20 years of experience leading teams and building products at companies like HSBC and Atlassian. She has helped over 800 people not just break into product and UX roles, but also secure promotions and substantially increase their salaries. Beyond her impressive career accomplishments, Bosky is also a mom who draws daily inspiration from conversations with her son. She strives to make the tech industry a more inclusive space for everyone. I cannot wait for you to hear her story of perseverance and her insights on turning her setbacks into comebacks. So right after this, we'll dive right into my conversation with Bosky. I grew up in a small town in India, and um, it's called Shillong. Um, it is also known as the Scotland of the East because it has a lot of similarities with Scotland and it looks completely different than the rest of India that you see in documentaries and TV. Um, so I grew up there, rolling hills, um, went to a convent um, with Irish nuns. That's where I spent my first 12 years. Um, a lot of, I think, what has shaped me over the many years and who I've become has largely been um, driven and influenced by what I learned in school from those Irish nuns, you know, leadership and look beyond your own problems and do for others. Um, All of these were like really ingrained from the time we were four year olds. So, you know, a lot of activism was kind of built in, uh, you know, from a very young age. Um, Shillong, the city that I grew up at the town that I grew up uh, is also one of the only matriarchal societies in India. And so it was really interesting to grow up, you know, being surrounded by some really strong women and completely oblivious to how the rest of the country really operated, uh, or frankly speaking, the rest of the world, the real world, right? So it was kind of a really protected environment, but I think I just loved it. Um, I also happen to have parents who come from very two different parts of India, different language, different food, (laughs) different customs. And so it was kind of really interesting to see how intercultural differences can create interesting family dynamics, because again, India is very diverse. And, you know, if one person's from the West or North and one person's from the East, it can, it can result in a lot of interesting uh, conversations interactions. 
family dynamics um, and all of those. So I think that's how I grew up. Um, I have a younger sister. She's six years younger to me. And uh, I frankly never wanted, I wanted a sister, but I think once she came and I saw my mom spending a lot of time with her, I wanted her back in the I wanted her back in the hospital, like back. And I did everything possible to make her life miserable, like from putting uh, ground um, uh, jalapenos or chilies that we call in India, put it, put it, putting it in a leaf and giving it to her when she was like, maybe like a toddler, like everything possible to make her life so miserable. I told her we picked her up from dumpsters, like every, everything. Um, so it was, it was an interesting, interesting kind of time growing up. Uh, but I always felt like I could do whatever I wanted. That's what my parents instilled in me. Um, that's what my community was instilling in me. That's what my school was instilling in me. And so it was kind of a really interesting time growing up. Um, I also happened to be, you know, my family is a very, very middle-class family. So we didn't have all the luxuries in life. And something that was really important uh, for my parents was education for both of us. Like that was just, there was no negotiating. I, I think we overcompensated on education uh, compared to a lot of other things. And again, Indian education system back then, I don't know how it is right now, is is very different, right? It's, it's a rat race there. Uh, huge populations, if you wanna rise up, you have to focus on academics. Like there is nothing outside of academics. So the whole concept of taking a gap year or, you know, figure out what you want to do, that those things didn't exist back then. And so, yeah, I was academically very strong um, and wanted to do lots of different things. I wanted to be a nun. I was, yeah, <laughs> I think, again, influenced by the Irish nuns. I just loved what they did and I just wanted to be like them. I wanted to be a teacher. Um, I wanted to work with Mother Teresa uh, growing up. So that was a big dream of mine, not fulfilled. Um, I wanted to change the world. I wanted to build bridges. I wanted to be an architect. Um, but as I was growing up and the reality of career, you know, what university, what college you want to go, what major you want to choose, I think all of those conversations became much stronger uh, and powerful at home. And gradually I was kind of nudged um, into engineering or medicine, like a very, very stereotypical Indian family. Um, and I wanted to do architecture. I got admission, full scholarship in the best university for architecture in India. My dad took me there with my suitcases and everything. And he said, are you sure you want to do this? Like you are not going to be able to like earn a living. Uh, I think we should just go to the other city down South <laughs> and just see what's there in computers, you know, computer engineering. And if you don't like it, I'll bring you back. Um, and I think being the elder daughter, I was also just, I think culturally as well. Like I was, uh, I was a good daughter. Like I didn't speak back. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that was good, bad, whatever. But um, I said, you know, fine, you know, let's just go. We went there. I got admission in computer science. Um, and somehow my dad convinced me that that was the better choice. And so I went with it wasn't very happy. My heart was still in architecture. I wanted to do that. I wanted to build stuff. Um, but I met a guy who's now my husband. And so looking back, all things are good. <laughs> all things are good. So yeah, yeah, meant to be. Um, so yeah, I did four years of that and then came to the US. Again, typical, you know, 
um, escaping the rat race in India, wanting to kind of, I think, make something for your life. So yeah, I went and came to US to do my master's, couldn't complete it, visa problems, um, and the rest is history. I, that's how I ended up in tech. Um, I got uh, into startups in Canada, and then I worked in eight different countries um, around the world, uh, US, Canada, um, Australia, uh, Bermuda, which is an island country. Um, I, what else? What else? I'm losing track. I worked for a little bit um, in UK as well. Um, I worked for a little bit in um, Hong Kong as well. So yeah, I've kind of lost track now. Oh, but, so yeah, many different it cultures. Been, yes, yes. And I had almost shipped my bags and everything to Greece as well at one point in time uh, for a work opportunity. But I think the Greece uh, financial crisis had come up probably like maybe 2008, 2009. And so we left that. So yeah. Um, after that 20, 20 plus years in the tech industry uh, as a mom, um, was in the corporate world, uh, started as tech support and ended, ended all the way uh, promoted as the president of the company, different companies, I've worked in different companies, um, and then now in entrepreneurship. So that's what I do. That is life. <laughs> that is life. I love that. That's the quote of this uh, episode. <laughs> I think that that is so inspiring. And thank you for sharing that, you know, today. I, so it sounds like, you know, you have been exposed to so many cultures, lived in different places, really have had to overcome um, different situations from socioeconomic, you know, to relocation to and now you're an entrepreneurship i am really interested in also knowing you know what um what were like your biggest obstacles or setbacks in this uh 20 plus year journey so far um yeah um where do i start so i think <laughs> i think I, so there were so many, right? And I think every time there was a setback, I think I just felt like that's it. Like this is the worst I've gotten. <laughs> you know, there's nothing been like this before. Only to be humbled, only to be humbled the next time there was a bigger setback, right? Uh, not to say that every time it just kept on getting worse, but I'm just speaking just rel from a relative standpoint. So I'll just share like a few setbacks I don't know. I definitely, I definitely know one, which is a very personal setback. That was, I think that's been the biggest, but I think professionally as well, there's been a lot of setbacks. I think one is just being minority in tech. I mean, anyone that you talk to will talk about that. Right. And it's not just a minority in tech. It's also a minority interfaced with a few other things sprinkled around that kind of makes it, I think an interesting, uh, space to be in. So immigrant. So that's one. I, you know, it's not just about being any other minority. It's about being an immigrant. Um, and that becomes interesting. Like every time, every time you are having to, I think, work so hard because you don't want to lose your status. You're trying to put in extra hours to study just because you don't want to lose your status. You don't want to lose that $7.25 an hour job that I had just so that you could pay your bills and you could collect all of that 
to eventually not only pay your fees, but also send money home because you came with a huge international student debt. I mean, back then, I'm talking about more than 25 years ago, my uh, educational loan that my middle-class parents took against all odds um, was humongous. Like I hadn't seen that kind of number in my life. I don't think anyone sees that as an international student, the amount of fees that you have to pay for the same program. And I, and I get it. I, I get the rationale uh, for the business of education. But I, I think a lot of those things, right? So it, it started with small things. It started with like, okay, maybe I should skip the tomato and the lettuce in my <laughs> lunch today because I can save 75 cents, a dollar. That may mean I can send that much home. If you know, if I collected over 30 days, $30 equal to how much rupees? Like, I think that pressure can- like Trying to pass your classes. In, That's so much yeah. pressure. Yeah, and not just passing classes because culturally you're conditioned to come at the top of the class. So it's not just passing. It's not about just, you know, okay, you know, you passed and you did well. Even though the education system in the US, North America is so different, you don't get marks or those kind of things. And it's not so rigid like in India. But I think, you know, you have to think, right, 19, 20 years of that kind of conditioning in, 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 in school and you know that your survival is hinged at doing well because if you don't get a good grade you will also likely not get a job right because you also have to deal with immigration and visa issues because not all companies are going to hire immigrants plus you also have just 60 days to find a job after you graduate like everything adds up so i think i think i think i think first coming and getting that taste um, and realizing that, gee, I did all of this, you know, nonstop studying since I was four years old. <laughs> and I've come here thinking I would escape a rat race, but gee, <laughs> I am in a much bigger rat race now because there are way too many, <laughs> you know, there are way too many Asians and Indians here <laughs> in the US <laughs> in tech, uh, you know, and I know I'm like grossly stereotyping here, but that's a fact. Plus you also have a lot of the Americans and you're trying for the same kind of roles. And so I think that was an interesting experience and very, very stressful. And then three months before I was to graduate, um, not to forget like the cultural changes, right? Like you fit in, you know, you have these student associations in every university, which is very kind of cultural. But I think for me, something else that I was, I think, struggling with is that I couldn't identify myself belonging to the north or the south or the east or the west part of India because I come from a mixed family and so I've always struggled like people will say you know where are you from which part of India are you from I'm like well I'm from Shillong which is in the northeast but yeah like what is like what are you a north Indian are you a south Indian I'm like I am mixed my mom is from the east and my dad is from the north so what also happens I think a lot of times is that you have these student associations but then you have to fit in within the different uh, diaspora of these cultural differences. And I think I always struggled there because I could never identify myself. So that was kind of an interesting time. Three months before I was supposed to graduate, my academic professor who was uh, sponsoring by that time, my tuition, which was a huge relief, uh, decided to leave and go to private sector. And so three months before I lost my scholarship. And so I had a choice as an international student to redo my entire program, 
with a new thesis, uh, right, and a new project and all of those in my master's program, um, or figure out like, or basically leave, withdraw, figure out like, it was a crazy time. Um, and so um, I wanted to talk to someone, I think it was a very good decision, instead of going to India, instead of kind of going crazy, I actually took a $22 Greyhound ticket to move to Vancouver, where now my husband is to just chat through and get a sense of, I think, what is there. So I think that was kind of an interesting time because again, I was moving across to a different country, not knowing what is it, whether I'm going to return back, you know, pack everything, not understanding, like, did I just waste my two years? Um, things worked out, but I think some of the other challenges, Sierra, um, was I think when I was once working at a very large organization, it was a global organization. We had people from all over the world, um, but we also had a pretty large offshore team. <laughs> so I think biases is something that is very interesting and inherent in the tech industry. Um, and I remember I had visited Chicago for some office meetings and we also had offshore teams. And a lot of people from Chicago, from the US team, assumed I was the offshore team. And they were cut, you know, um, just because, just because of how I look, just because they assumed, right? Wrongly assumed. Um, and I think this happens, right? What was the implication? Implication was that, um, you know, at first uh, I wasn't allowed in a lot of those strategic conversations because I am the offshore team. I'm supposed to execute and implement. Um, and it was really interesting that, you know, no one spoke up. I think everyone was just busy trying to figure out, you know, their own thing in the offsite. Um, and I had to kind of muster up courage to get myself inserted. And it was an interesting thing because uh, I think, again, just culturally, it's very different. Ca Canadians are different than the Americans, there are subtle differences. Um, so I think that was an interesting experience. I've been assumed to be the secretary <laughs> sometimes just because being a woman. So that's kind of an interesting, I think a lot of us experience that, um, you know, so I wouldn't say it's a challenge, but I think these biases are really interesting, right? As a hiring manager, I've heard like, just like, I don't, I, I don't, I can't even roll my head on things that I've heard as a hiring manager on hiring decisions about wanting to hire women or people from different intersectionalities, you know, trying to make it easy for mothers, new mothers to return back to work or to retain mothers at work. The kind of, I think, conversations that happen wasn't my personal challenge per se, but it was definitely an interesting set of conversations to have at that level to create environments at, at companies that I worked for um, to make it easier for 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 working mothers um i think there are two interesting i wouldn't say challenges but incidents uh from work i think just being a woman in tech a strong woman in tech i would say because i don't take bs uh i i have i have i think i think you know this is like a running joke my my husband always says you know are you going to teach this person a lesson because I was like gung-ho that, that, that activism was always there in me. Like, I'm like, you know, like this is not right. And I have to say something about it and I need to put this person in place, in their place. This is how I was, my younger self, you know? Over the years I've learned you have to A, pick your battles. 
Uh, otherwise, A, you're going to be really miserable. You're not going to be able to make the change. You're going to just keep on making enemies because a lot of the changes that we're talking about, the systemic changes, you have to bring other people along. You can't do it on your own. Yeah. And in order to bring that, it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's, 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 it feels like it's politics, right? It's bipartisan and all of that. You have to get people together to help them see why this is important. And I couldn't just teach people a lesson all of the time. And so I learned, I remember that I had joined a company. It was an executive leadership role. It was my first executive meeting. I was the only woman. I was the only woman of color. Although I try not to think like this because then it's very easy to either be like, oh, they said this because I'm this. So I, I try not to kind of think about it. But anyway, I was sitting there and they're like, oh, we're going to start the meeting. Bosky, can you please take the notes? Right. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do it uh, first time. Two weeks later, we had the second executive meeting. Everyone looked at me like, Bosky, take your notes. Last last time notes were so good. It's so awesome. It was the first time we ever had you such action. so great notes. at it. Right. Yeah, I'm so great at it, right? <laughs> Everything was so clear and typical, right? I'm like, I did it again. Mm -hmm. You know, now it was six weeks. I'm like, again, I'm like, this is like insane. What do I do? Should I just say? I think by that time, like I realized, you know what? Sometimes just how you use your words, like, to make a change, sometimes you don't have to say, you just have to do something. And so I remember the fourth time I'm like, okay, I didn't go with my laptop, no phone, no paper, no pen, no pencil. Well, and everybody is like, oh, notes. I'm like, sorry, you know, my, my computer is going through an upgrade. Can't do it. Um, yeah, someone else had to do. I just took my things and post-its. But that was my thing, you know, I basically started kind of, I think, navigating a lot of these kind of, I think, um, professional challenges that way, you know, someone said, oh, we have a potluck back in the day when we were still going to the offices. Oh, you know, Bosky, or oh, someone from your team, like a woman, can you please, you know, and it was getting tiring and tiring and tiring like every time potluck, right? And I'm like, okay, next event, we're going to do barbecue. And so guess who did the barbecue? Not the women, not the women. Uh, so I think, you know, it was interesting to, I think, figure out how to work through the system as opposed to against the system. So I wouldn't say these were kind of, I think, challenges, challenges, but these were felt well, like they, they were setbacks. Like, you know, they're, they're social biases and systematic norms that really put you at a disadvantage you know, on top of all of the cultural expectations that you had and, you know, so many barriers that you had to persevere through um, just to succeed. And that, you know, it's really interesting. You talk about you're oftentimes the only woman in the room or you have all of these additional uh, context to your ability to succeed in those times. Like, who did you turn to? for support? Like how did, you know, people help you or beyond individuals? Like, did you find resources or communities? Like what really helped you find confidence and advocate for yourself? It took me a long time to start advocating for myself. And it took an even longer time to start advocating for others. Um, because I think again, you know, I grew up, grew up being totally conditioned and I wouldn't 
just say that it's all conditioning. I think a lot of it is, I think my own personality of like, I think being a very introverted person who doesn't like to take too much space, but it's also about, I think like, oh, you know, <laughs> uh, cross your legs, you know, it's like growing up in school, cross your legs, don't just run, like walk like a lady, speak, you know, keep your voice really, really soft. You don't have to yell, you know, you can't be giggling. I think a lot of those, you know, 12 years is a long time. And yes, there is good in it. But I think when you overdo it, then it can also, I think, uh, come as uh, one of one, you know, that, that may pull you down. So, and I think just culturally in India, I think women are kind of taught to be like, you know, you be, you know, you don't have to just keep on working. You don't ask for anything don't ask for money you know you will be regarded as someone who's greedy and is just doing this for money just do it for good work and again i think a lot of women are conditioned this way but i think when you add the culture you add the schooling you add all of those things i think so it took me a long time to i think advocate but to answer your question sierra i was working at a time when the magic bullet to succeed, like for women to succeed in their career, the, the only magic bullet <laughs> that was talked about in companies was actually mentorship. Um, so somehow everyone believed we're gonna start these mentorship programs and come, they're still there. And I'm not saying that they're bad, they're really, really good. But I think when you try to make all of these things like a formula, like we're gonna match you, doesn't matter whether it's a fit or not, you're gonna meet once a week for six months, you can talk about anything that you want and bingo. Like, you know, I think back in the day, like I was part of like a lot of these mentorship programs and I was matched up with some women, um, but the women were very, very less, right? So I think, I think just trying to, I think, find mentors. And so what ended up happening for me was that I ended up happening, having a lot of male mentors. And so I think a lot more than women back in the day, because we didn't have women that high up. Um, in, yeah, you in, were one in, of the pioneers. I wouldn't say I was the pioneer, but there were very few women, right? Very few women, I think, you know, in my early careers. And so I had a lot of male mentors which I think worked good in a way that I got to see what it is like, how do men think, how do the men, you know, very high up think. Um, but again, like I was saying, you know, when you, when you overdo something without thinking and putting things in context, it can also act as a handicap or your dr biggest, biggest uh, points that's gonna pull you down at some point in my career. So I think I saw a lot of strong men, you know, and I think I was starting to believe that um, in order to rise up, I need to behave like a man because I wasn't seeing a lot of women. So I, I speak the same language, you know, conduct myself in the same way. Um, and I was kind of losing a lot. Some of those things that I think would have been much more effective in terms of who I really am. So I think I was deviating from that. But yes, mentors were uh, were there. I've always had mentors, different stages of my life. Um, I've learned how to ask for mentors, but yeah, mentors were some some people that I really, really appreciated um, and had, and I would reach out to them. Um, I also have kept really good relationships with all of my ex-managers, like all, except for one, all. 
Um, and there are a handful of them that I still reach out to, like just a handful of them that I still reach out to, but all of them, I will still communicate at least once a year, at least during the holidays, I'll still send them a card. I'll still, you know, wish them well. Like I've kept in touch with them over 20, 22, 23 years. It's uh, crazy. Uh, but yes, I've kept in touch with all of them across all of the different countries. It's, I think, really, really amazing uh, that that has happened. I think communities have been really important, not so much, I think, early mid-career, but I think at some point over the last 10 years, as communities started coming up, um, I found myself naturally gravitating towards some of these communities, uh, whether it is women in tech, whether it's women in product, um, to find, um, brainstorm, just kind of, find my place. Um, I write a lot. Um, you know, I think reflecting and writing has been instrumental, I think, in unpacking a lot of the things that I have in my head. Like I'm not, you know, maybe I can't do it. Maybe I shouldn't put up my hands for this promotion or this project. I think writing helps unpacking. Uh, my husband has been my best friend since we were probably 19 or 20. He works in a similar field. He understands and so that's been really helpful as a pillar throughout my career. Um, someone who someone who knows me in and out, a lot of times I don't even have to say everything for him to understand um, and kind of be that guide and be that support. I think I've been really fortunate to have that. Um, I think what else, you know, from a resource, I've always, uh, I've, I've, I think over the last several years, I've also invested in working with a coach to figure things out as I've, as I started climbing up the ladder. I think that was a game changer, um, just finding some time to invest. Um, yeah, I would say these would be some of the research and books. I, books are my favorite. Like uh, I was called a bookworm as a four year old and I'm still called a bookworm <laughs> by, my, by my eight year old right now. So yeah. Yeah, I love that. I it's really fascinating to hear about how you had to relearn, you know, as you moved up in your career, how to navigate in the world to, you know, succeed as a woman and succeed as a minority and an immigrant. And it's just really interesting to hear that. I, I wonder, you know, as you've had these challenges and had to like, find your seat at the table, it sounds like you've really relied on mentorship and coaching and educating yourself, advocating for yourself. And through that, you know, what did you learn about yourself and your resilience through the process of overcoming these obstacles to where you are today? That's a really interesting question, Sierra. So, you know, in my career, I think there are lots of phases, but then I think there are very two distinct phases in my career that the second phase became much more intentional after I became a mother. <laughs> and I think a lot of moms are gonna say that, right? A lot of changes. And I think for me, one of the biggest hurdles, biggest hurdle that I do not wish on anyone uh, that I and we as a family had to go through was after my son's birth, um, he had to have open heart surgeries and we had three open heart surgeries and we dealt with all of those interesting times, uh, very crazy times uh, that impacted a lot of my health and mental health and emotional health at a time when mental health wasn't talked about like it is talked right now. 
And so I think my second phase of my career in 2019, um, you know, where my health just collapsed big time, I took a step down. I think that's when it was a lot about, I think, figuring out the meaning of resilience because we always tell women, we always tell mothers, we always tell people, you gotta be strong, right? You gotta be strong for your child. You gotta be strong for your family. Um, you know, you're leaving your home, you're leaving your country, you know, at such a young age, you gotta be strong. Um, you know, I left my family for undergrad studies as well as a totally different city. Um, and I couldn't afford to go home every year, like pretty much everyone else. So I used to be one of the very few kids who would be there for at least my first first two years, um, not going home that often. And so it was kind of really interesting. Like, I think you put that pressure of like being strong, uh, you know, you have to have resilience, you have to do this once you become a mom and you go through something like this where a newborn baby, your first newborn baby, the only newborn kid that you've not even held is basically going, you watching him go through uh, a 13, 14 hour open heart surgery, going completely bonkers and bad to the point where you see him go into a cardiac arrest, like, you know, three open hearts, like it's, 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 it, it was at a point where you don't have time to think about, am I doing something for myself? Am I doing everything that is right? Am I making the right decision? You're just living every second just to make this little baby survive. You're not thinking about your survival. You know, you're not thinking about taking care of yourself. You're not thinking about resting. You're not thinking like, you know, I was still pumping every 20 minutes um, while I was sleeping on the, yeah, sleeping on the floor in the cardiac ICU. So what happened, you know, from 2014 until 2019 was that all of those things as a child that keep on adding, you know, to make you who you are for good or for bad, right? Whether they are baggages or whether they are, um, they are perspectives that can really take you further. You know, we all have those, but over time those, and then all of the trauma uh, over five years where you don't do anything to take care of yourself or your mental health, kind of, I think just hit me rock bottom because in order to be resilient, you have to make sure that resiliency is like a muscle. If you keep on using it, and you don't build, you will just run out. And I reached a point where I just ran out, right? Like I was given three months to live in 2019. That was what had happened to me. And so I think it made me question a lot about like, okay, what does resilience mean for me? Like, I understand what resilience means, you know, in books and how people talk about it and things like that. But what does it really mean for me? What do I need to do? What is important? You know, I've been part of this, some sort of a rat race for pretty much, half of my life, uh, or maybe a good portion of my life since a kid, you know, where does this end? And what does this mean, right? Like if I don't survive in the next three months, what happens to my four-year-old? What happens to my family? What happens? Like, I think you question a lot of those things. And I think that was something that really happened for the first time in my life where I paused, I fought the urge to not continue in a role that I was preparing for to reach the top and break that, shatter that glass ceiling that we all talk about for women, right? Like that glass ceiling is there. It's so hard to shatter. Like if you do that, somehow you, you are made, like your purpose in life has been fulfilled as a career professional, right? 
I think it made me question a lot of those things. It made me question like, you know, are titles important? You know, how much money is important? Um, being an immigrant and starting my life over and over and over again, every time, every different country I went, I didn't come with any wealth here. You know, I did not. I had to make my life here. Uh, starting at a very low salary all the way to the top. And I think that immigrant brain doesn't leave you. Financial security is huge. Um, it's, 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 it's probably for me, it became like one of the most important things. So a lot of the decisions that I was making in my career was driven by this so-called, I want to shatter that glass ceiling. I want to be there. I want to be an inspiration to a lot of other women. I want to make more money. I want to be in a place where I never have to maybe um, tell my kid, well, you may not come home this time because we don't have the funds to bring you home uh, from your from your college university or, you know, uh, I wanted, I think every parent wants to make their kid's life better. I'm not saying that I was special or anything, but I think a lot of those things made me question for the first time in 2019. And I think my definition of, you know, resiliency for me or courage or what is important, what do I want to do? How do I make a decision? If I want, do I want to return back to a company and do the same thing that I've been doing? You know, do I leave the US? Uh, because I was working at Atlassian back then, loved it. I, I, I think if there's anything that can bring me back to the corporate world would be go back to Atlassian. Otherwise, I cannot work anywhere else. Like, I just cannot work anywhere else. Uh, <laughs> I mean, some great humans. Uh, so I, I think it made me question a lot of those things. And I think that's when I started completely shifting how I make decisions every day, who I work with, what my tolerance is, you know, at the end of the day, every decision, every project I take, every work that I do, every person I interact with, I will ask very selfishly, you know, is doing this going to bring me joy? And at the end of the day, is it going to keep my full like keep my cup relatively full? Or am I going to end my day with basically an empty cup? That's a simple question that I ask, but it's a hard question especially when you're a bootstrapped entrepreneur, you know, you don't have all this money and you're trying to kind of, you know, but I've reached a point where I'm like, uh-uh, like, this is fundamental to me because I never want to reach what happened to me in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. It, so resilience really became very different for me, for you than when you mm -hmm. first started your career to now. Yes. A full, Knowing, full, much a full 360 shift, right? Right. Yeah. And it's like your, your purpose in life changed and what you value changed. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. knowing that and knowing those things you went through, uh, I'm really curious, you know, you talked about what resilience was to you as a young adult, what resilience was to you as a mother and through, you know, burning out, what would you, if you could write a letter to your younger self in the midst of what you were going through, when you were going through your challenges, just starting out, you know, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself? <laughs> so many, 
so many. Uh, uh, <laughs> I could redo uh, so many things, uh, you know, uh, but I think just maybe a few uh, big ones. I think one, I think the definition of balance, <laughs> work-life balance or definition of being a successful uh, parent, mother, and a career professional. I think everything that you hear, you see, you read a lot of the success stories, you have to take it with a pinch of salt because everyone's situation is different. You know, if you are not privileged to be having family support, you, you don't have the financial needs to be hiring three, four different people to help you with cooking and cleaning and caring for your kid. All of those advice, it, A, it's not gonna help you and B, it's gonna make you feel really bad about yourself. And I think for me, you know, I was reading through all of these magazine articles that, you know, you have like a few of these success stories of women who had reached the top, their lives were very different than mine, very, very different than mine. And so it was almost a lost cause right from the beginning. If I was trying to like, I'm not saying you don't have to be inspired by all of these success stories. Absolutely. But I think having that perspective is really important and saying, okay, this is something I can find inspiration. Now, how does that work for me? Instead of, I think a lot of time I was blindly following. I also see a lot of people, even today, we get so enamored by a lot of these success stories that we're like, okay, that's how it's going to be. Right. So I think that is one. It's about never losing the perspective and putting things into context, right? I, I think that was something that I've missed a lot of times as I was looking for examples uh, to, to find inspiration. Uh, I think the second thing is, uh, I think perfection doesn't exist. <laughs> and as life happens, you may need to be, you, need, you may need to change the definition of what perfect looks like. So for me, perfection used to be a clean, dusted home. I used to see my mom dusting every day, cleaning every day, cooking every day from scratch. That's how I grew up. You know, that's what I wanted to do in my home when I had a home. You know, life is different. This is not India, right? A, you don't get that much dust like you did in India. So really, do you, do you need to dust every day? You know, I mean uh you know common sense common sense i think that's again it's that perspective but i think for me like dusting cleaning cooking all of these were really important i'm not saying i'm not saying those were not important but you know now when i have a little boy <laughs> he's not little anymore he's eight years old still behaves like little a lot of the times you know if there is a lego piece of lego on the floor i'm not gonna lose my <laughs> full sense you know, so cleanliness has changed. The definition of cleanliness has changed as an example. Um, I think I wanted to prioritize for whatever that perfection looked like in my life for a long time. You know, I would probably write that in that letter to myself. I would probably also say, you know, when you prioritize certain things in your life, you will have to deprioritize something else. You cannot do everything. Multitasking is a big myth. It's not biologically possible to multitask. So stop chasing that and stop telling yourself that you are a good multitasker. Um, and you have to like, there is nothing called balance, right? In order to have your balance, you will have to prioritize and deprioritize because life is not a bar chart. 
life is a pie circle, like a pie chart. So if you have to put something, that means something else has to reduce. And I never treated right. life as a pie chart. So I think that would be an important thing. I, I think remember in me college, to... when I first started college and you know, my first introduction to learning how to manage my time and boundaries and, you know, the responsibilities. And I remember being told that there is this triangle and it's broken up into three parts. And one is your work, one is your friends, and one is sleep. And you can only pick two to prioritize. And I always found that one accurate, but also just like such a, a shock as well. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I, I wish we like in my career for a long time, the whole thing that was, I was hearing from everyone, women, men, family, friends, what we would talk together as friends, we need to have it all. <laughs> right. And I think a lot of, I think a lot, I think over the last few years has changed in terms of, I think what we're telling, you know, a lot of these conversations and I think real life, stories and real life struggles i think people are beginning to talk more what you are doing none of this used to happen i think i wish they happened so i, I think yeah i mean yeah I, I think the definition of having it all i would probably tell my younger self to think again what does having it all mean you know and having it all for me maybe early in my career to mid in my mid career to maybe later on in my career could mean different things it does not have to be static and i think that is something that i would remind my younger self or maybe yeah tell tell that to myself and i think the fourth thing is and i think this is really really important really important and that is uh, actually two things sarah if you if, if you're okay with it i think one is investing in relationships um, I think as, as, as women, especially as women, I think we inherently struggle building relationships at work, right? Um, you know, it, it starts and stops at showing our work and maybe sharing the progress of our work or project. But beyond that, I'm not saying you have to go to a sports bar and keep on drinking and these kind of things. Like I, I don't drink, but building those relationships, it's not politics. Like I, I feel like we get so hung up with the word politics as a bad word. We are humans. We each have different goals and different agendas and different things that we want to achieve. If you bring a group of people together, there will be politics just inherently because people, everyone in the room will have different goals, right? But politics is not bad. I think when you start sabotaging people and all of those things, I think that's when it gets bad. But politics is just the nature, right? It's just there. It is it is uh, influencing and stakeholder management. But I think as women, we probably want to put in some effort and learn the art of networking. Um, and I wish that I would have spent some time to do that um, when I was earlier in my career, um, as much as I do now. And I see how many opportunities it has opened up. And it's not it doesn't have to be cheesy. It doesn't have to be challenging. You do it in your own way. You don't have to follow someone else's recipe, but you do it in your own way. I think that, and then the last thing that I would have reminded myself is I always spent a lot of time, um, you know, on my learning and my growth and my personal development, but a lot of it was focused on the hard skills. And the real life skills was something that I did not invest in. You know, I started investing in those real life skills much later on in my life. Um, and so I think I would 
definitely tell my younger self that those 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 real life I hate the word soft skills, but those human skills, those survival skills, I think they're extremely, extremely, extremely important to kind of start practicing and knowing and figuring those things out much earlier in their life. Her journey shows that with perseverance and grit, you can overcome obstacles and find your path to success. I want to thank Bosky again for being so open and vulnerable with me during our conversation. It takes real courage to share your story, but in doing so, you never know who you might inspire. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe so you don't miss out on our next uplifting story. And please leave a review. I love hearing from you all. Onward Upward is about sharing stories of resilience that motivates us to keep moving forward even when we stumble. Our setbacks don't have to define us if we have the drive to learn from them and forge ahead. So thanks for joining me on this journey. I'm Sierra Ching and I hope to see you next time on Onward Upward.